You are listening to the Conquering Everest podcast. This is episode 30. Welcome to the Conquering Everest Podcast. My name is Brian Talor, and let me just start off by saying thank you. Thank you for choosing to spend a bit of your day here with me. Now, on today's episode, I have a conversation with Sonia Frontera. Sonia is the survivor of a toxic marriage. Throughout the years, she has supported domestic violence survivors as an advocate, speaker, and an empowerment trainer. She is also a certified Jack Canfield Success Principles trainer and offers inspirational workshops and retreats. Sonia is also a divorce, divorce lawyer and an author. She is the owner of Frontera Law in Lambertville, New Jersey. She offers forward-thinking legal solutions to help individuals end their marriages respectfully. This is Sonia's story. Okay, we are live. Welcome to the Conquering Everest podcast. Uh, Sonia, how are you? I'm well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, it's going to be around relationships, and I think that's something uh, we can all relate to. And you sounds like you've got a pretty good story to share. Um, before we get into all that, would you like to go ahead and just take a moment and introduce yourself to our watchers and or listeners? My name is Sonia Frontera, and I am an attorney. I practice divorce and immigration law, and I'm also an empowerment trainer and author. And I just published my second book in November, which is entitled Relationship Solutions, Effective Strategies to Heal Your Heart and Create the Happiness You Deserve. Awesome. So what led you into um, the profession and uh, more specifically the uh, becoming a relationship coach? Well, I always wanted to be a writer uh, since I was in high school and um, I kind of went the safe route and I practiced in corporate uh, America for a little bit. And then I decided I wanted to go to law school to expand my horizons and increase my opportunities. So um, I went to law school and uh, uh, I have been practicing for 26 years, and then I, I came down with a migraine disability and retired from my litigation practice and started my own firm, and that gave me the flexibility to write and create my, my own schedule, and that was the perfect opportunity for me to blend um, my life experience and, and make it useful to others. I got married very young. I was 24 years old. And I found out uh, within 24 hours of my wedding on my way to the honeymoon that I married a psychologically abusive man. Mm. So it was very, a very, very, very difficult period of my life. And at that time, I wish I had had the support and the encouragement. And I figured at this point, it would be a good idea to use that experience to try to help others and empower others who are going through similar situations through a similar situation in a relationship? This 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 gentleman that you married, I I assume there was like a courtship period, and uh, was he just putting on a different front during that time and coming across like the the gentleman and all that good stuff, or 
You nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, we were together for three years before we got married and uh, we had a beautiful courtship and I just found out that things were going to change the moment I said, I do. And what, if you don't mind me asking, what was, when you talk about um, the, the abuse that, that, that you predicted pretty quickly after getting married, was what how did that manifest itself like how did you recognize it it was pretty self-evident on our way to the honeymoon on the plane he told me everything was going to change and became verbally abusive to me on the plane mm. that sounds like it could be a good movie script <laughs> well actually there was that movie and actually um Julia Roberts was in it. It's called Sleeping with the Enemy. Okay. Uh, it's it's a similar story. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, Brian, my story is a lot of women's stories, a lot of uh, men's stories that once you become married or, or the partner feels that they have control and power over you, then things change. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can... I could definitely relate to that on, on even different levels, not just husband, wife or boyfriend, girlfriend or, or you know, partnerships. It's um, even in like relationships with parents and friends. I've seen that one thing that I, I see a lot of. And, and this is a question I'll ask you. I think you'll be a good, uh, good expert for this is. I notice a lot on social media when people go through a relationship that that's ending uh, marriage or, or, or just a long term relationship. There's a lot of talk about narcissism. And I think it's really easy. Uh, my opinion is that a lot of folks, they automatically go to the narcissism like I was with a narcissist. What I've tried to look up in and educate myself on narcissism. Uh, I went through my, I've had relationships where I, I was accused of it and I'm like, well, okay, let me figure this out. And I have a hard time putting my finger right on what that is. Um, but uh, for this, how, how do you, de how do you detect narcissism in a relationship? Is it just, a oh, go ahead. I, to be honest with you, I, I'm not, um, I'm not a psychologist and mm -hmm. right now, narcissism seems to be the the go-to uh, mm. diagnosis for any kind of relationship problems and especially in in uh, abusive relationships oh i i was abused because my partner was a narcissist in fact i just had a doctor diagnose her husband as being a narcissist because he called her names mm. uh, i can spot a narcissist because he says bad things to me and that's not really a narcissist and i'm, I'm not in a position to give you a diagnosis but just because somebody is abusive doesn't make him a narcissist and what that does labeling any abuser a narcissist is really doing a disfavor to other people who might be in abusive relationships involving someone who's not a narcissist and when when your partner doesn't necessarily fit the bill of a narcissist then you may wonder if you in fact are in, a, in an abusive relationship yeah and it's it's tough because you know it's a very emotional time, especially if a relationship's ending. Do you have um, do you have if, if to throw out the questionnaire? What nine or most of the time? I say nine times out of ten, maybe it's it's not quite that. But what are you? What do you see in your line of work as being the major contributing factor to relationships um, falling apart or struggling? Is there any one thing that stands out above the others? I'm going to say awareness, and that is the premise of my work. 
my work is premised on on the teachings of Anthony DeMello, who was both uh, a priest and a psychologist. And he said, and this was not in terms necessarily about relationships, he says that people were born in their sleep, they live in their sleep, they get married in their sleep, <laughs> and they die in their sleep without ever waking up. And that awareness is the way out of our suffering. And I agree with that. And I think that very often we get ourselves in relationships for the wrong reasons or for not for reasons we don't necessarily understand. And that can lead to conflict. For instance, very often people get married what you do you you go to high school you get married you have 23 children and and you re, you work for 40 years you retire and you die and then you find yourself that your life doesn't necessarily fit that script and then you yeah. wonder why why things went wrong we do have so many so many messages from society about what relationships are supposed to be like that we don't we don't go into relationships with our eyes really open and when relationships don't comport to our expectations that leads to conflict and disappointment yeah and i and i can relate to that because when i when i got married it, it, i was a bit of a rebellious soul when i was my late teens and early 20s and um there came a point in time matter of fact when i was turned 21 i said okay i need to settle down a little bit uh, you know in my mind society dictated well, okay you got to get married you got to have the white picket fence you got to have a couple kids um you know divorce isn't an option uh, like and and i've divorces you know my family I've, I've you know my father left when i was two and I, i've seen it so i was like i'm not gonna get divorced i'm not gonna get divorced but getting into the relationship um i you know i i got into a relationship with somebody that had a very um, what I would say American dream type life where, you know, they, the house parents were still together and, um, you know, uh, she, she was very, she was a good, well-mannered person. And it was just, it, it became very tough um, as, as when, once we moved in together and as into marriage, it started getting tough because I felt like a square peg in a round hole. And, and, and plus I had a lot of insecurities that, that I was dealing with, or at least I was trying to mask in my relationship um, that ended up catching up with me later on in, in, in different forms. But the, we talk about, um, when you talk about relationships and the healing process, for me, it was, uh, I, I came to know after the fact, after my divorce, I, I, I said, okay, I need to get some help. I need to better understand where I went wrong. And I mean, I knew, uh, I knew the things that I did that I shouldn't have done. Um, but it was really a, a matter of just, I came to discover that I didn't truly love myself. And because I didn't love myself, I didn't feel that I could, I could properly, properly love others. Is that, you know, is that something that you see play over and over again, where, especially in marriages or relationships where, um, you know, maybe one party is unfaithful to the other. I think you made two very important points, actually. Uh, the first one is you went back to find out what you did wrong. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing when a relationship goes sour, whether or not the relationship is viable and you end up staying together, you really need to look back and, and find out 
what were the factors that led to the end of that relationship so that you don't repeat those mistakes in the future. So mm -hmm. kudos for that. And self lack of self-love is, is a really big factor in, in any, in any aspect of your life. In fact, Louise Hay said that whenever there was a problem in your life, there was only one answer and that is loving the self. Because when you don't love yourself, you don't act from your for your best interests and and you don't you don't claim the life that you deserve. And if you don't love yourself, it is impossible to love another person and to accept the love as well. You don't feel that you're deserving of that love. So your relationships are unlikely to work until you make the effort to learn to love yourself and, and take steps to do that. And then how about on the other side? So like, you know, for me, I take full accountability for my my marriage breaking up. Um, I know that I, I wasn't a good husband. Uh, so for for the other side of that, um, what is the, the healing? I mean, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of discomfort and, a, and you know, trust and everything else that that gets broken. When we talk uh, when you talk about healing, on that side, when you're on that side of the fence, um, what does that look like? For because I know there's probably going to be a few people that that um, you know that I'm friends with that are going to watch this or they're going to listen to it, and they were on that side where they they tried so hard to keep their relationship together, but it didn't, and it wasn't necessarily their fault that somebody maybe was unfaithful or um, did demonstrate narcissistic personality traits, and and it's very hard for them to heal, at least from my perspective uh, as an outsider looking in. What what does the healing process look like or what can one expect after a relationship falls apart? When a relationship doesn't work out, you like I said before, you really need to look back and try, try to trace your steps and find out where things went wrong. Right. And not necessarily beat yourself up if things didn't work out, especially if, if your partner was not up to the task. It takes two people to have a healthy relationship. And if one person is not willing to go the extra mile, the relationship cannot be salvaged, no matter how good and well-intentioned you are. So what you need to do is to pick up the pieces, retrace your steps, and then start over with a clean slate. Try to understand what are the things that bring you joy and, and bring a sense of purpose and take care of yourself. And that builds the foundation of not just healing a relationship that is broken, but starting over. And with so when you have somebody um, that maybe comes to you, wants to work with you, and they're trying to put start the healing process because I, I I would imagine from that perspective there's there's insecurities that get drummed up because they're like why did this happen? Um, I would imagine, or at least from what I've seen as a as, as an outsider looking in, that that recovery process seems it, it could take years in some cases of what I what I've seen. If if somebody's listening and they've just gone through a, a, a relationship that that has 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 turned sour and they're just really hurting at this point what would be your recommendation or your advice i mean it, it, i could see where you know picking up the pieces that might be hard to do um there may be some depression or anxiety that kicks in what's a good starting point if for somebody that, that 
is that, you know, they're just, they're just trying to process through the pain. I think it's important to get help and to be supported. It's very, very difficult to get through a bad relationship or through a divorce or, or to start over without having support. You need to surround yourself with people who will be there for you, who love you, who won't judge you, and who will, will give you whatever it is that you need, not what they think you need, but what you need, who are willing to listen. And you know, frankly, not all the people in our lives have the capacity to be able to do that and be there for you in the way that you really need. And in those cases, I, I highly recommend working with a counselor mm. because it's really nice to have someone who will listen without judgment, someone who will be a sounding board and someone who will provide the encouragement you need to pick yourself up. And in addition, don't forget, you are your own best friend. You are the person who can, who knows you best and the only one who will be with you for the rest of your life, for sure. Yeah. So you need to start developing that relationship with yourself. Take time to do things that are nourishing to you. And, you know, I'm, and I'm going beyond the bubble bath and going for the massages. Take time to be in solitude and, and do some journaling. Try, try to explore your feelings. Spend time in nature do things that are spiritual and and that will will lift your spirits anything that that makes you happy and brings you joy do it and do it more often whether it is spending time with friends or learning something new exploring your purpose and trying to learn and do new things i think when a relationship ends it's it's the end of an era. It's the end of the world as you know it. And hence, you're going to have that feeling of loss and depression and sadness. But by, by the same token, it's an opportunity to start over. So you should start to look for things that would be fulfilling to you. And one of the places to start is what you gave up in order to be in the relationship. Because very often when we get married, we merge into a couple and we, I guess we take literally what the Bible says to become one. Yeah. And very often we stay in a relationship and give things up that are important to us in order to have domestic peace or to integrate better with our partners. This is an excellent time to start exploring your own, your own self. What is it that you wish to do with your life and look at it as an adventure as opposed to the end of something. It's an adventure. It's an opportunity to try new things, learn new skills, meet new people. That's what I did when my marriage ended. And I have to say the years after my divorce were the happiest among the happiest of my life. And, and going back, um, just kind of going back in your story a little bit, uh, you, you said you, you pretty much knew right after you got married, you know, it, he made it very clear that um, this was probably going to be a challenging relationship. How long were you married um, for, you know, before, how long did it take before you said, okay, enough's enough. I've got to, I've got to get out of this, this relationship. I kind of realized I had to get out. Um, I, it, there's always a sense of ambivalence, especially when it comes to toxic relationships, because partners, the abusive partner tends to display very nice behaviors at some times. So it's like you, you want to hang on to the nice guy. Yeah. and hope it and you're hoping that things could possibly change and be good so you try that and you hope for it and then you have to factor in other other 
other issues in your life. For me, I am Catholic and the Catholic church frowns upon divorce. So it would have been disruptive to my spiritual life. And that's something that I had hanging over me. And the fact that my family is very conservative and they really wouldn't have been very accepting of me going for a divorce, especially early on in their relationship. Like you just got married. Why didn't you figure that out before? before you had the wedding. And uh, it, it just wouldn't have made sense uh, if, if I had ended the relationship so soon. So I figured I, I gave it a really good try. And I wanted to persuade myself that I had done everything I could because I did take my marriage vows very seriously. And that's something that I recommend people do. Divorce regret is something that afflicts about 50% of people who divorce anywhere between 32 to 50%. So you really want to give it an honest chance. And I did. And I realized the relationship was not viable. And uh, I ended it before our seventh anniversary. And, and you were talking a little bit about um, kind of the therapy or, or counseling. With couples counseling, if, if you have one partner that does, that's, that hey, let's do this. We, we, we definitely got to work on some things. But the other partner is not so willing or, or not willing at all to go to, to a counselor, to marriage counseling. Um, what, what would be your advice for that, that, that person, the, 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 the person that does, the, that's just, that really wants to, to, to try to fix the relationship is is should they still pursue counseling on their own even though the partner won't go and how do they translate that back when they get home well it takes two to tango so yeah. if your partner is not willing to work on the relationship you can technically consider it over mm. or resign yourself to live with a partner who's not there right however i think that going through counseling on your own is very very important because you need that emotional support. Yeah. So I highly recommend going to counseling on your own. And in fact, I think counseling for yourself is very important, especially when it comes to toxic relationships, because you need, you need that support. Plus the fact that um, in a toxic relationship, there's an imbalance of power. And very often the abusive party is, is likely to present themselves as the same party in therapy. And not all therapists can pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, some domestic violence uh, advocacy organizations totally discourage having couples counseling because it could do more harm than good. Oh. But by all means, go on your own. Yeah. I'd say go on your own. If not, if, if, if not together. Um, and then what would you say, because this is a, this is a debate that I've, I've had with folks. And, and when I say debate, I don't mean like in the literal sense, but conversations where we kind of toss ideas back and forth. Um, you, you, a relationship falls apart. Um, and, and I hear sometimes it's like, well, I think they'll change. I think they'll change. You know, I don't want to, uh, give up quite yet. Even if they've split up, separated, whatever, there's, there's hope that, that Hey, this person's going to change. How, how often, if this person is not seeking counseling, if they're not looking to try to find the answers, I mean, is that really just a myth? or a lie that we tell ourselves because we don't want the relationship to end or, you know, 
can somebody just magically change overnight? I don't think so. I, I think it's it's a bit more complex than that. When when you marry someone with the intention of changing them, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and a disaster. Mm -hmm. So you need to look back and figure out when you went into this marriage, were, did you go into it with the hope that you were going to change this person into someone he or she isn't or has no desire to be? Mm -hmm. So you need to do that inquiry and, and look at those things that this person uh, does that you not necessar don't necessarily agree with. But by the same token, I think it's important to take some inventory and try to look at the person's best qualities and then make an assessment. Okay, um, this person is not this good in, in some areas, but he, he or she is wonderful in these areas. How important are these things to me? And can we make things work out? And you also need to pay attention to how you are uh, behaving or reacting towards your spouse because sometimes we we do things that make things worse and we need to understand what we what we bring into the relationship that might be contributing to the problems so it is it's, it's a very it's like peeling an onion there's all these different different aspects to it that you really need to examine very carefully and and objectively you really need to to be honest with yourself and with your partner yeah something that that popped into my mind um was social media and social media has gotten really big over the last i don't know what 20 some odd years i i don't really remember when I got on Facebook or anything like that, but do you see social media um, as being a, a contributing factor to uh, relationships turning, you know, going south just because there seems to be such an availability uh, and instant connections that could be made? Uh, I would imagine it, it doesn't help the situation, but uh, what, are, what do you see out there with social media? I think it's a contributing factor. Uh, for one thing, we are getting a crazy picture of what relationships are like sometimes yeah. because people are posting all these wonderful lives that they have and, and people have an expectation of, oh, this is what relationships are like or my relationship doesn't measure up to this. So yeah. in that sense, it could be a contributing factor. And like you said, also the availability of other people. I know of, of couples that have split up because one of the parties met someone online from another state, never met personally, but were willing to just leave a relationship of many years for this fantasy that they found online. So yes, it is is a dangerous place to be. A slippery slope, as they as they would say. Um, let's talk a little bit about your books. You've got two books out there. Um, go go ahead. And let's let's reintroduce the titles and then maybe talk a little bit about what uh, what a reader will take from each one. Okay, the first book is entitled Solve the Divorce Dilemma. Do you keep your husband or do you post him on Craigslist? <laughs> and it was it was written for women and it's it's my style is more of a supportive sister who's there to help you through your difficulties and encourage you and and share wisdom. Uh, and uh, it was for women who are contemplating divorce, mm. who are having problems in their marriages and, and are looking for the answers. And this book 
shows you that the answers are within by leading you through a series of questions. All these inquiries that we were talking about, yeah. um, there are some prompts, there are some reflections at the end of the book. So it leads you on a journey of self-discovery and personal transformation. So you can make the decision whether to stay married or divorce and either way create a life that is fulfilling. Um, so that that was the first book, and it was for women. But men were reading the book, and mm -hmm. they started making comments. Uh, you know, this is this is only for women, and it's biased. So I decided to write a second book that would be gender neutral, that would include men as well, uh, because there was the interest uh, on their part, which is surprising. Uh, the industry, the publishing industry, says men are not interested in this sort of thing, <laughs> but surprised they were so i expanded the the first book uh, not only to make it gender neutral but to add other areas that were of interest to to people to readers and that's how relationship solutions came about hmm. okay and those are both uh, i'm assuming available on amazon and that, that you know, is anywhere else um, that that folks could look for that they're all available online everywhere you find books. Okay, great. And then, as far as um, as as the coaching, what um, you know, somebody's never been through any sort of. Let's just assume they've never had any coaching as it regards to the relationship or any type of counseling. What would one expect? You know, if they reached out to you and said, "Hey, I think you know, I need a little help. I need a little guidance." What what does a coaching plan look like when it, it, it involves a relationship? Well, actually, I'm more of, I, I lead uh, retreats, inspirational retreats, okay. workshops. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants to meet one-on-one, -on -one, I can certainly arrange for that. But what I typically do is, and, and I, I do online, and I have reached out as well to uh, domestic violence organizations so that we can go over the content of the book and have discussions. Um, and that's that's one of the things I do, the, the book discussions. But I also craft workshops to help individuals who are on the fence or individuals who are looking to rebuild their lives and start writing a new story. So I create these different programs and very often I do them based on the feedback from people. So anyone who's interested is welcome to reach out to me. And that would really be useful for me to be able to craft programs, design things that are apps, you know, useful and, and hit the spots that are most important to my readers. And as we think back, we think back to your story. Um, so you 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 were a lawyer while uh, when when you got divorced, right? Is that is the time timing line up, or were you? I, I guess where I'm getting at with the question is for you when 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 you went through your divorce, um, I, I'm going to guess that you didn't have all the answers that you have now then, and so there was probably a process. Um, for you to kind of learn and, and, and figure out that path and how to write that new um, chapter in your life. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like for you after the divorce and as far as recovery and healing? Okay, sure. Um, I was not a lawyer. In fact, I started law school after I got married. 
I was 25 years old and I found myself in a, in a toxic marriage and in a dead end job. And that's, that's a bit young to find yourself a dead end. So I decided to go to school. My dad suggested, you know, you should go to law school. And I thought about it and I'm like, yes, that would open a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. And going to law school also had the, the uh, fortunate effect of removing me from, from much contact with my husband because I was working full time while I was going to school. So I had a very long day. I had a lot of schoolwork. And, and uh, that created a buffer between a toxic situation and myself. Plus, it created uh, a, new, a new life, the prospect of a new life, a brand new career with new people. I, I had a new group of you know, social acquaintances from school. So that made the whole process easier in some ways because it empowered me before I went through the divorce. And that's something that I think is, is really important. And I, I recommend to anyone who's finding himself or herself in a difficult situation in their marriages, because once you empower yourself, the process is a lot smoother. Mm. For me, the divorce itself was not nearly as difficult as the marriage. And it's, it's, it sounds backwards, but that's, that's really a, a an easier way to recover from the divorce if you have done all the work before you actually go through it or most of the work. Right. And, and when we talk about empowering oneself, um, I, my mind goes to giving yourself permission to, you know, or first of all, forgiveness. Hey, you know, this the relationship failed for whatever reason. Um, I think I think it's important to forgive not only the other person but yourself. But then when it comes to empowering yourself, it's giving you permission to take those those chances, take those leaps of faith. Uh, how would you define empowerment for somebody? For me, empowerment is is a three three part. Uh, it has three components: self awareness, self expression, and self love. Mm. So empowerment means being aware of the present moment, how you end up in, in, a, in, a, in any situation, whether it's good or bad, have that sense of understanding of, of what's going on around you. And the other aspect is self-expression, being in touch with yourself, what makes you happy, what brings joy and, and, and self-realization. And like you said, give yourself permission to pursue those things because mm. they're not selfish. They're not conceit. It's not narcissism. Right. It's a healthy thing to do. And, and that again, that ties into the self-love component of it. So empowerment is when you feel free to express the human being you came to this earth to be. Yeah. And when kids are involved, I'm, I'm sure that adds a whole nother dynamic, uh, not only to the healing process, but, you know, ultimately, I mean, as far as far as I know, usually there's uh, one person's going to have majority custody. There's going to be visitations for the other person. Do you offer any insight or, or um, is that, you know, a part of, of the conversation, w you know, when, when there are kids involved, because 
you know, if, if you're a mother or you're a father and now you're, you find yourself alone, so to speak, and, and having to, uh, you don't have that partnership now or say you don't have that partnership to, you know, with the kids and their activities and what, and, and all that's running them to and from, um, what would be your advice for that parent, that parent that's suddenly finds themselves alone in, in, in raising, uh, trying to raise the children from the relationship? I think you need to be very artful when you're negotiating your, your divorce, uh, agreement, you should try to work out an agreement that gives you participation in the life of your mm -hmm. child. Um, and the important thing is kids come first, be there for them. And I, I, I will be honest, not all relationships uh, and not all parenting agreements are optimal. And very often you have a parent that is, is an obstructionist and tries to mm -hmm. create alienation between a parent and a child. So in those situations, be there for your child, even if you can't be physically present. And now with technology, there's so many more opportunities to be in contact with your child, you know, with, with FaceTime or Zoom. Be there for your child and make, make sure you let your child know that you care. Whether or not you're physically present or you're living under the same roof, you care for your child, you love your child, and you will always be a parent to your child. As far as not spending as much physical time, what do you do? I think you need to reframe how you look at it. Instead of saying, this is time that's being robbed from my child, from me being with my child, you can look at it. This is time that I can use to grow and to empower myself and make it me time. Make Instead of making it a time to mourn the loss of the company of your child, make it a time for you to improve on yourself, to enjoy yourself, to enjoy your company. Yeah, that's that's great advice. That's I think I'd be curious to know how many people don't think to take that approach when, you know, the children are with the other, other parent, you know, really taking that time to, to rediscover yourself, uh, kind of shifting the conversation just a little bit and, and maybe bringing it to, you know, for the last couple of years now, or I guess it's maybe just been a little over a year, not quite to um, COVID. COVID mm. has added a whole new element to life, right? It's life has changed for, all of us in, in various ways. What are you seeing co as far as COVID in relationships? I mean, COVID has been a very tough situation for, for couples because all of a sudden you're finding yourself together, spending too much time together in yeah. a <laughs> cramped space. And it, it increases your, your, your opportunity for conflict. So make no mistake, there's there's more opportunity for conflict, but you can also turn it around and say, this is a time when I can I can spend time with my spouse. And you know, let's face it, when most of us most of us got together with our spouses, we enjoyed ourselves doing nothing sometimes or things that were not major. So try to recreate that. I mean, we're at the tail end of it, but I think that's the right approach just to try to make the most of it of the time that you have together and try to work out uh, agreements on how you are going to spend your time, how you're going to share your responsibilities at home, responsibilities with your children, 
and just maintain the line of communication. It is difficult for me. It was really hard because I used to be home by myself, like for 12, 14 hours a day. And all of a sudden I have my husband in, in the house <laughs> and it's like, Oh my God, it's, it's what's for breakfast. What's for lunch? What's for dinner? And it's like, okay, let's, let's work this out because this is a little bit taxing for me. It's really difficult for me to take time away from my work or what I'm doing. So the important thing is to keep the conversation going um, so that you can work things out before they get out of hand. And when you're stuck in the house and you can't go out, you lose the access to those things that are nourishing and that that give you a respite from from stress. Mm. So you need to be very mindful of that and make time for yourself and, and to, for self-love and for Things that bring you joy, even if it's not the same things that you were doing prior to the pandemic, it's an opportunity to try something different. Now, one thing that has been really, really destructive because of COVID is uh, the domestic violence landscape. Mm. The isolation is the power tool of an abuser. And uh, when you have your, your, your partner in your home constantly, you don't have access to your family. You have more opportunity to have you know, these interactions that are toxic and harmful and less ability to seek help. So anyone who finds himself in, in an abusive situation, they need to reach out uh, for help for any domestic violence organization because they are still active in spite of the pandemic. Yeah. it's And talking about um, uh, domestic violence, with I've seen it in the past where it's kind of like we talked about earlier where I there maybe there's this um, thinking that things are going to get better and they're going to change but I have seen uh, on multiple occasions where uh, the 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 person that is being abused whether it be emotionally or physically uh, they really don't I don't know if it's they don't want to leave the relationship or they're afraid to leave the relationship what I mean, what kind of insights can you offer on, you know, if somebody is, okay, it is abusive, um, they should seek help, but what, you know, what, what is the, I guess what I'm saying, what I'm trying to ask is, you know, what is the allure of staying in that relationship, even though, you know, like every day is kind of a struggle to get through. This may be getting more into the psychology of it. I don't know, but I figure you've probably seen that. Absolutely. And I, I can tell you from firsthand experience and from what I have seen with people um, that, that I have worked with uh, throughout my career. But the, the one thing that most people don't realize is that you can be in an abusive relationship and not even know it, especially when it comes to psychological abuse, because it is so nuanced and it, it can be barely perceptible. Sometimes it's, it's, it's something that it's so subtle that you don't even realize it's abuse. You can't tell whether your spouse is abusive or just a garden variety jerk or, <laughs> you know, or, or it's, it's just something so seemingly minor, but when you put it in perspective in its proper context and you accumulate all the behaviors, then you see a pattern that leads to abuse and, and an effort to control your partner and, and to demean your partner and to destroy your partner's self-worth. 
So those things can happen without you realizing it and without the people in your life understanding it. Very often, um, the abusers are charming and present themselves as very nice and very charming. And, and you come across as the jerk. And I'm going to give you an example that a woman uh, from one of my groups, she reached out to me and she said, you know, it's, it was every time we went to a party, he picked a fight. And I'm like, my ex-husband used to do the same thing. They get you all riled up. So when you're going to be in, com in company with other people, then you're like really tense and you're, ac you're, you're anxious and you snap. And then you look like you're a nut mm. when in fact you had somebody, somebody create that hostile environment so people don't really understand that you're in a relationship where you're being subjected to mistreatment on a regular basis that it's eroding your soul and your sense of self-worth and self-love and the other thing is that because these abusers are charming there is what is called a cycle of violence where they they escalate their behaviors and then after they get into an incident that is more serious they 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 become very contrite and they're very convincing that they're being um that they're being sincere about trying to change their behavior. So you want to believe them and you want to make things work out. You don't want to let go of what's good in the relationship just because there's some bad episodes. So that creates a, a dynamic that is very toxic and very harmful and that can be very hard to escape. And and there's a, there's a belief out there at least. Um, and I, I, I guess, I don't know if it's true or not, but, uh, from what I've heard is that some of the fallout from an abusive relationship uh, that that does end that the the person that that was uh, that that was being abused is there a likelihood that they're going to look for another relationship that's that's really going to put them right back into the same situation? Do you know if there's any truth to that statement? I think any relationship that you don't explore how you got in it and what kept you in it, you're going to, you're likely to repeat that. Mm. And, and you see it not just in abusive relationships, but in any relationship, how many people, you know, that get divorced and marry someone just like the, the previous spouse, and then they divorce and they marry somebody else. And I know people who've been married five times. Yeah. Why? Because they didn't take the time to understand what are the underlying factors that attract you to that sort of person? Yeah. And, and that kind of raises another question in my mind. Um, see if you have, what's your thoughts on this are, but when somebody gets married a lot, so, you know, the, it's, let's say five or six times they've been in a relationship and divorce. What, what's the underlying, you know, root cause of that? Um, it, is it just a, you know, is, is it a dependence on somebody else or what do you think would be the, you know, when somebody gets married and divorced multiple times and they just seem to be looking for the next marriage? That could be. And, and again, what I had spoke about uh, before about awareness yeah. It's it, it's that it's those messages for some people. They're not comfortable being on their own. They are raised with a belief that you need to be married or you need to you need a partner to be validated mm. or to 
get you don't you're incapable of making it on your own or you need two salaries you really need to explore because it's it's different for every person what those me inner messages that inner chatter is telling you that is leading you to these relationships so you really need to take the time because if you don't learn the lessons you will keep repeating the experience until you do right yeah. And, and I think that's why that, you know, having that solitude and that time that even even when you're in a relationship, uh, you know, being able to separate and and discover yourself is is so important. Uh, it's easy for me. I'm a bit of an introvert, so I, I like quiet time uh, alone. And, you know, and I can be an extrovert when I need to be. But it, usually I, I, I kind of stay towards the end of the night and just just kind of be present in in my own thoughts um i i want to give give you an opportunity let's talk about your social media your website how can people find you um, learn more about you the best way to uh, get in touch with me and get to know me better is visit my website soniafrontera.com that's www.soniafrontera.com and there you will find links to all my social media as well as learn more about my books any events that i will be hosting and uh, just simply connect and send me a message i love to hear from readers and listeners very good and and all of those the, the links uh, anything that you've provided should be in the description of not only this live stream but uh it will be in the podcast description as well when when this gets converted over to audio uh but sonia i just wanted to say thank you uh for your time and thanks for bringing uh, you know relationships uh, it's something that I, I think there needs to be more talk about there needs to be more conversation around it um it's it's definitely an interesting dynamic to me when when i watch people in the different relationships they go through and i even compare it to some of you know my own experiences um, but but I appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights, and uh, you know maybe maybe down the road if there's another book or anything else we can we can have you back on to talk about that a little bit more in detail. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. There you go. There you have it. My conversation with Sonia Frontera. Sonia, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and insights uh, towards relationships. And for all of you listening, make sure you check out Sonia's links in the description below. And if you haven't already, make sure you give this uh, podcast a follow. Uh, if you're able to leave a review, uh, please do so. And uh, most importantly, please share this podcast. Please share this podcast on your social media. Let your friends, family, and just everyone know that Concrete Everest is out here. And, uh, you know, we got a whole lot of stories coming on this show. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you once again for tuning in and giving us a listen. And until next time, remember, aim high. Be courageous and go do amazing things.